Good morning. I'm reminded this morning of Albert Einstein, who was honored almost 11 years ago by Time magazine as being the man of the century. He was traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor was coming down the aisle punching tickets. And as he was doing that, he came to Professor Einstein's seat. And when he did ask for the ticket, Professor Einstein went into his coat pocket, couldn't find his ticket, went into his pants pocket, couldn't find his ticket, looked in his briefcase, couldn't find his ticket, looked in the seat next to him, couldn't find his ticket. And the conductor, sensing some embarrassment, said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. Matter of fact, everybody on this car knows who you are. I know you bought a ticket. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded graciously and said, thank you very much. And as the conductor finished his job throughout the car, right when he turned the handle to go to the next car, he turned around, only to his astonishment to see the great physicist underneath his seat looking for his ticket. He rushed back to Einstein's seat only to say, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. We all know who you are. To that, the world-renowned physicist looked up and said, young man, I too know who I am. Thank you very much. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) You don't know how much of an honor it is for me to be here because I get to talk about the subject that is near and dear to my heart. And the reason why this subject is so important about manhood and patriarchs is because we don't talk about it anymore. And I love your line because it molds right into what I want to say today. There are five steps to being a man. The first one is you're a boy. So you're in your boyhood. The next one is you're in adolescence. The third, you're into manhood. The fourth, you are a mentor. And the fifth, you are a patriarch. Let me ask you one question today, ladies and gentlemen. When's the last time you heard a sermon on being a patriarch? The reason why that's so important is because I don't think any of you would go into your job or into the military and say, I don't even have an idea what I'm doing. I don't have a business plan. Had the opportunity to speak in Illinois at a Hearts at Home conference. And had the opportunity to share with those who were facilitating the conference. And we got to talk afterwards after the first day of the conference. And all the women there asked one question that was predominant. How can you make my husband the spiritual leader of the home? What was fascinating about that is the last day of the conference, I got to tear down a 6,000 person conference with the husbands of those ladies. And afterwards... We got to talk. Their greatest concern was, how can you lower my wife's expectation of who I need to be? (laughs) There's a disconnect there. There's a big disconnect. And what I want to share to you is why it is so important that we see the vision of being a patriarch. Now, I just want to reach you. I can throw statistics out at you all I want. Like four and a half kids every night go to bed without a father in the home. But what I want to share with you is something a little different from a different angle. And let me just read these. What has been made about this man problem? Because if your goal is to take somebody to the next step, 
I want all of you to take that next step today. I want you to see a vision and a conviction so much that is woven through the tapestry of God's word that it puts us into action. But let me read to you about this man problem. You can hear about it on Oprah. You can read about it in time. You can watch the destruction of it with Dr. Phil. School teachers can barely educate on the heels of it. Social services are overwhelmed because of it. Law enforcement feel the brunt of it. Politicians don't know what to do with it. Authors and academics have assembled alarming statistics to prove it. Talk radio personalities have all the answers for it. Movies glamorize it. Television commercials mock it. What is this man problem? Families are ripped apart by it. Wives soak their pillows with tears as a result of it. Children grow up in poverty as a consequence of it. And teenagers experience with sex and drugs to cope with it. You see, we have a lot of money spent on treating the symptoms of it. Everyone is concerned about it. Many address the consequences about it. Yet very few people are doing anything about it. And that's really what I want to do today is cast that vision. Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. One of my favorite sayings is if you want to build a ship... Don't collect them in to gather wood, delegate and do all the work, but teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Let me say that again. If you want to build a ship, don't go around gathering them in, collect the wood, delegate, but teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Ladies and gentlemen, if we live for today, that's all we're going to get. But there is something out there that is far greater that we can be living for that will be the best for every member of the family here today. And it starts with the dad. As the dad goes, so goes the family. It is probably the most pervasive social, economic, political and spiritual problem of our time. Because I believe men has become the largest neglected group on earth. As a result, they are prone to get caught up in the rat race. They live unexamined lives and they become cultural at best rather than biblical Christians. Why do you ask? Why is this so important? Because I see it all the time. Why is it so important? From the mouth of that great theologian, Jack Nicholson. In the movie, A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. Howard Hendricks did a study a number of years ago. Top 249 leaders of the church today who have fallen has only one common denominator. That common denominator is there was no accountability. I happen to be a man, have blood in my veins, oxygen in my lungs, and I know what can happen if I'm left to myself. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful and deceptively wicked above all things. Who can know it? But men don't fully understand and can't apply what they don't know, what it means to be a man, what it means to be in a relationship, in a marriage, in work, in money. You are either trained or you're not trained. And I believe the reason why most Christian men are so frustrated is because it says in Ecclesiastics that man has eternity put into their heart by God. 
And they come to the realization that our life does have meaning. And we climb a ladder that we find out that in the end, it's leaning against the wrong wall. Time and time and time again. If you have this piece of paper, I would like for the guys to take this out because I want them to write something on this. That I say time and time again, everybody goes, what was that? I, 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 I can't remember what you said. Listen very carefully. You see, our masculinity is our religion. Our Christianity is our faith. Today we have an identity crisis. The patriarch has become an endangered species. Our masculinity is our religion. What we live out. But our Christianity is our faith. There is nothing I can do outside of Galatians 2.20. What am I plugged into? I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man, a mentor, and a patriarch is a matter of choice. So today, in our time together, almost 30 minutes, we will really have three responses today. The first response will be, you know what? I don't think I'm willing to make that kind of sacrifice. That's what some of you will say. The second one, you know what? I agree with what he says at a gut level, but... I just have the harsh reality of the now and I'm not going to change. Or you will have somebody who will agree with what is said, put into practice the principles that what scripture has put into place and it will revolutionize their family, their wives, their children, their church, their community, their state and their nation. See, what you don't realize is this group here in this church today could turn the world over on its head about 12 times. Jesus did that with 12 minus one committed people living out what is woven through the tapestry of this book that has been around for centuries. So on that piece of paper, what really we're going to come down to today, we're going to talk about a patriarch, but really for a man, what we're going to come down to is three things. A will to obey. A woman to love. And work to do. If we can find those three things, is it my will to be done or your will, God, to be done? And how in the world do I live that out? I'm not advocating that everybody has to get married, but in order for us to grow, we have to populate. And God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. How is it that we learn to love and honor and cherish that person that God gave us? Let me give you a little insight. You know that God calls your wife a helper? Let me tell you what kind of company she's in. There's only three other people that use that verb in the Bible. You know who they were? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Pretty good company for your wife to be in, right? To help us. And number three, a work to do. Fro says men live lives of desperate understanding of what they need to do.
So what is it that God designed you to do? And live that out, which is the only thing that brings us pleasure. So let's look at Genesis 24 and 25 to see what God has to say about this patriarch subject. Because it says here in Genesis 25, Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age. An old man that was satisfied with his life and he gathered his people. You see, what we need to look at is what is a patriarch? What does he believe? And how does he behave? If we can understand those four things, we have a chance to change our world. You see, I believe the bookends of Scripture is Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Take control of that little area that God has given you. The bookend of that is 3 John 4. There's no greater joy than to see your children. What? Walk in the truth. Dartmouth University did a study called Hardwired to Connect. 247 studies born down into one. Says if you want to make a major influence in your Cub Scout, Sunday school, wherever you want to go, do two things. Build relationships and model it. Spend $8 million to do the study. The Bible could have told you that real simply. Save us a lot of money. So what does this look like? What is a patriarch? A patriarch is a man who rules a family, a clan, or a tribe. One who is regarded as the founder or the head of an enterprise, an organization, or a tradition. See, we move from manhood to mentor when we disciple others, but we move from mentor to patriarch when we begin a tradition that results in godly men all around us. God used Abraham to begin a nation. And what's fascinating about that is if you go to Genesis 17, he basically says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of all nations. And I want you to see this multi-generational faithfulness woven through tapestry because he begins with the first patriarch. He says, I'm going to make you the father of all nations. 17.7. All you have to do is flip one chapter. 18.19, he says, oh, by the way, if you don't teach this to your children and your children's children, I don't know if you're going to be the father of all nations. So where did that ministry start? It started right in this home. And God can use men to build a nation of men. Men who understand the biblical responsibility to live as men of faith. What kind of traditions are we looking at? And this is the will to obey. What kind of traditions are we looking at? We're looking for men who are willing to walk with God unashamedly. Do we peer into our children's soul and see how they're designed so we can encourage them and catapult them into the next generation? Do we love and honor and cherish our wives? Sorry to pick on you, but I loved when you were holding hands. I hope I have that all my life. I love that. That's a tradition. That's modeling. It's so interesting because I've had my children tell me since they were little, I have taken their hand and I've squeezed it four times. Do you love me? And they squeeze it back three. Yes, I do. And they squeeze it two more times. How much? And they squeeze it one more time really hard. And my 10-year-old the other day said, Dad, I think I'm going to do that on your deathbed. If you can't talk, I want you to know how much I love you. 
Men love traditions. Family loves traditions. And we see it time and time and time again. When families are totally destroyed because we have no idea where we're going. But God's word provides that for us. So not only do we want to walk with God unashamedly, but we want men who study together. And mentor one another in earnest. And that's where we start to live out our design. God designed the Christian life to be a participating sport. Not an observation sport. So that tradition is staying together. Third, men who applaud and encourage biblical manhood and have a definition for that. I was going through this last night and my 15 year old had a friend over. And that friend asked my son, well, why, why is your dad in his office? He said, oh, well, he's got to talk tomorrow morning and he just needs to figure out what he's going to say. No. He's... So George said, well, Drew, what, what, what's your dad going to talk about? He said, oh, something about what it means to be a man. And at just about that time, I had walked into the kitchen. And this 15-year-old turned to me and said, you know what? I've been thinking about that lately. What does it mean to be a man? We've dropped the ball. To be a king, to give vision and to provide. To be a warrior, to protect and give strength. To be a mentor, to teach and give wisdom. To be a friend, to connect and to love. To reject passivity, to lead courageously. To accept responsibility. To accept the greater reward, which is God's reward. To be a priest, a prophet, a protector and a provider. We very rarely find people who want to talk like that anymore because it's a noble calling. It calls men up and not down. I don't know if you've been reading anything lately, but we have a lot of men who are going this way. Going from manhood back down to adolescence and coming back up again. No pun intended, Tiger Wood is teed up for everybody. Somebody who has everything but has nothing. Absolutely nothing. So not only do we study together, but we need to applaud and encourage one another. We need to diligently pass on our faith to our sons. To live in such a way that they would crave to live that way. Too many what I find is friends of mine who have gone into ministry and made ministry their mistress. Or to go into a ministry to fall into the black hole of human need and then disconnect from where they were called from. We need each other. One of the most godly men taught me probably the best line I've ever heard. He has now passed away, but pastored for 45 years. Got to meet with him every week for about three years. But he, I mean, godliest man. You'd know him if I'd say, the, say his name. He said one thing every week, and I, can't, I, I, just, I just can't forget him coming in. And he says, Mike, can't believe I'm so stupid so often. What? He said, I can't believe I was so stupid for so often. And here's a man who walked with God, who needed somebody to come alongside and be a mirror to him. See, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. We need each other. No show of hands, but how many in this church would die if another man, older man, came up, tapped them on the shoulder and said, you know what? I really like what I see. Can we just meet for coffee? 
Are you kidding me? There's, there's men in here right now I would love to go to coffee with. Why? Because they've been to a school I haven't been to yet. That's a school of hard knocks. Maybe I might not fall into that pit because of him. Do not think you don't have anything to offer because there are men craving to meet with other men. And men who challenge young men at the crossroad of life. See, the great disease of our day today is men want to look good without being good. You say that again. The disease of our day is men want to look good without being good. And we need each other to build those traditions. Secondly, Abraham is also known as the father of faith. It's notable that those who God would use as patriarchs would be what? Men of great faith. Israel possessed the land by driving out enemies and occupying it. So must we. What are the enemies in your life? What are the things that are holding you back? What are you a slave to? It's so interesting because Rome was not built in a day, but we need to understand that our enemies are fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Doing the research for this, I came across a story from 1945. Three greatest evangelists came out that year was a guy named Graham, Billy, Chuck Templeton, and Bron Clifford. Of those three, the whole article talked about Templeton and Clifton. Small little thing at the end. And the also ran was Billy Graham. By 1950, Templeton was out of the faith speaking to hundreds of thousand people a year in 1945, was out of the faith by 1950. By 1954, Clifford was dead. Stone drunk, estranged from his family, atheist. God is looking for a few good men. And what's fascinating about that, I don't even need your strength. Second Chronicles 69 says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong to those whose heart is loyal to him. I just got to show up and be used. I'm in the business of building men. Will that ever go away? No, it's going to be passed on to generation, to generation, to generation. Third, patriarchs learn to develop other men to become responsible partners. The first one, two I just talked about was a will to obey. This one is about a woman to love. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest in his household, who had charge of all he owned. He was always developing. And what's fascinating about that, you'll see a picture of my family at the end. But what I tell people all the time, I know for certain that there is a God in heaven because I'm married to an angel. Happy wife, happy life. Right? But I know for certain. Why? Because I have a woman to love and to do life with. And keeps me from so many pitfalls. But this patriarch, he developed other men. You develop other men in both character and in skill to touch the next generation. This is critical. Because when you are developing men in character and skill, you might want to be doing that also. It's kind of a reality check. People constantly ask me, how do you do the things you do? You manage millions of dollars. You have a family of five. 
You speak for four ministries. Because I'm looking for a bunch of guys who are looking to be more like Jesus so I can go along with them. And that's why I meet with men on Monday and Wednesday and Thursday and teach on Friday. Because like I said, don't tell me I'm not capable of doing things that you read about people in the paper doing. I need you guys. I need to be around him. Men should have a chance to show their life together and gain it by and not gain it by default. That's where you get the life on life impact. Abraham could look to the future because he had a partner helping him with the present responsibilities. Guys, I know life is tough. It's hard. It's not easy. We're tired. But we also have a calling. And that calling is to be a patriarch. Patriarchs also work to ensure that the next generation is prepared by faith. She shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of Canaanites, but you will also go back to the country, my relatives, and take a wife for my son. How many here is past the teenage years in parenting? How many are past? Okay, you can understand this. My 15-year-old, I believe, lost his brain last year. And he's a great kid. But I had a conversation with the other day. Within five minutes, he contradicted himself five times. See, he's just looking for somebody to take him through life. So hard for him to try to be like dad, but he wants to be independent. And my job is to meet him in the middle and help him. But we need to ensure that the next generation is, pre is prepared to walk by faith. They understand the need for an undivided faith in a family. They want to actively work for the next generation. And God bless the patriarch in his work for the present and the future. Why is that so important? Because I believe God designed the engine to drive discipleship and evangelism. God designed the family to drive discipleship and evangelism. If I don't have control of my house, why should I have control of anything else? And that's what patriarchs do. They pass that on. They understand that faith throughout. Genesis eighteen nineteen, Psalms 78, 5. Deuteronomy 6, 5. That you will pass this on to your children and to your children's children. So we understand that we have a work to do. We want to actively work for the next generation. Fourth, patriarchs give away all they have while they're alive. Now, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Now, yes, there is a financial component to that. But what I really want to hone in on is the spiritual generosity. First Kings 2, David and Solomon, go your way and be a man. His whole life, he has prepared him for this time to when Abraham was passing it on to Isaac. Please write this down. Have no regrets. Have no regrets. You see, in three years, my son is going to get in a car, go down the driveway and leave. And the post-it note on my mirror in my bathroom says one thing. What is he leaving with? 
If we're not intentional, we're dead. But not only did he give it away, but he was spiritual, spiritually generous. Patriarchs leave a legacy of respect that causes others to follow. Then his son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in a cave. You see, what I want to get to today is this. How do you want your life to be remembered in the days after death? What traditions have you begun in your home that passes on the faith to the next generation? And is there anywhere God has placed in your life to develop another partner? You see, 2 Timothy 2.2 kind of sums it up is, how am I going to pass this on? A patriarch is one who leaves a tradition that results in godly men, is a man of great faith, develops others, ensures the next generation is prepared, and leaves a legacy of respect that causes others to follow. I want to close with a story that will describe every man in this room today. In December 7th, 1988, there was an earthquake in Armenia. In four minutes, 30,000 people were killed. A father of a town rushed to the school where his only son was going to school. And figuring out where his son's school room was, he started to dig. Four hours later, parents came and went and cried, they're dead There's nothing we can do. This father kept digging. Eight hours, 12 hours, 14 hours. But the father always told his son, no matter what, I'll always be there when you need me most. And at the 24th hour, his hand bleeding, his knees bleeding, he kept digging. 36 hours later, he kept digging. Because he told his son, no matter what, when you need me the most... I'm going to be there. 38 hours later, he pulled up one rock and heard a voice say, Dad, is that you? Armand, it is your dad. He said, guys, I told you my dad was coming. If he was alive, he told me. That no matter what, whenever I needed him most, he would be there for me. And he took out another rock and he saw the first kid. And he said, son, come to me. He said, no, dad, I want the other ones to go out first. Because I want them to know the love of a father. There are men here right now who have been in an earthquake. And who are under rubble. And who needs one other man to come along and tap him on the shoulder. And say, no matter what, when you really need me most, I'm going to be there. You don't have to be a life partner. Just somebody that pulls them out to do what? To share with them what God has already written. You don't have to make anything up. And what they've done here now is they're going to start a tool called men's fraternity. We've done it for nine years at my church. And I could care less what the men say. What I hear the women say is, thank you for taking my husband to the next step to be the spiritual leader of our home. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for these men. I thank you for these families. 
I pray today that our mind's attention and our heart's affection would be upon you. But I pray that you would stir in the hearts of men to take the next step. The enemy wants them to think that, oh, my life is over. I have nothing else to give. That's all we have is to give all we have for Jesus Christ. And when we're done, the only thing we hear is to God be the glory. Great things he has done. And I give you thanks and praise for this morning, Father, in Jesus name. Amen.